0: This is The Gathering Ottawa's message podcast, and we've got another great message for you. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. Months ago... There was an artist from New Zealand who was reflecting on the ongoing violence happening in Ukraine. And she wrote, quote, This morning I asked the Lord what he thought about it all. And he didn't say anything, he just wept. End quote. And she illustrated this powerful image of Jesus on his knees weeping as he washes the feet of a Ukrainian mother holding her child. She continues, quote, I don't presume to know the Lord perfectly, but I feel like war and a million other things are situations where Jesus is in control, still on the throne, and still weeps. He knows he can restore, he knows he can heal, he knows he can bring back to life, but he still weeps because grief affirms value. End quote. And the second image in this series is a lot harder to see. Jesus is now washing the feet of a Russian soldier. I have to confess that when I saw the image, I didn't stay on that second one very long, especially in light of the continued violence on the most vulnerable in Ukraine. I felt a little bit like Jonah and the Israelites, resentful that God could even love the Ninevites. And that image was a reminder that part of me forgets the gospel often and misses the heart of God in all of it. And these drawings are part of a larger foot washing series that the artist intends will allow Jesus to flip the tables of our hearts. Little did I know she also had a series in her collection called Freedom, Responsibility and Justice in response to the events happening in Ottawa and seeing those images will likely evoke different emotions in you as well. I don't think the artist's intent was to say that everyone should be neutral on political issues, but the intent was to showcase that God's love extends even to what you and I consider the other, perhaps. Uh, What goes on in your mind and your heart when you see people that you don't like on that stool, or people that you are different from. And these cultural moments showcase the human tendency to divide itself into tribes. We have convoys, politics, religion, etc. And we see this now more than ever on our social media feeds. And this leads well into the story of Naaman. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we engage your word, may you have your way with us, bring us closer to our Savior, bring us closer to the heart of the Father, and may you give us wisdom and insight as we engage the story of Naaman, we commit this time and our being now, in Jesus' name, amen. The word of the Lord from 2nd Kings chapter 5 verses 1 through 19. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aaron had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aaron replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. The letter he took to the king of Israel said, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and he said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, Please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said, after Naaman had traveled some distance. The word of the Lord for us today. Now, verse 1 says The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. So Naaman was a big deal. He was prominent, he was admired, a military commander of Aram. And these were seen as Israel's enemy. And so it's curious how Yahweh had given Naaman victory. But the scripture says, But though Naaman was a great warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Leprosy is an important biblical theme. We see it throughout the Hebrew Bible. We see it in the New Testament. It was a serious skin disease. And in the Bible, it's broader than what we know as leprosy today, also known as Hansen's disease. Leprosy is discussed at length in Leviticus chapter 13 to 14, where we see the Torah addressing contagion and the wisdom of quarantine. If left unchecked, this leprosy would eventually lead the person to be separated from their community in order not to transmit ritual impurity. So the outline for the sermon is we're going to focus on two themes in this text. The first is this story, amongst other things, tells the journey of healing. Tells the journey of healing for Naaman, but also for us. And there's this wider theme in this portion of 2 Kings where in the previous chapter, there's this wealthy woman. And the scripture says, though she was wealthy, she had no son. And so while a person can appear to have everything, there are also needs. They have needs. So hold in your mind this phrase, though he was blank, he suffered from blank in this specific time and place uh, what is your need what is your current longing for healing in your life secondly it's a story of God's grace despite our best efforts against it and so verse two reads at this time Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel so Naaman was specifically the commander of Aram Damascus Um, And his people had invaded and conquered the Israelite people. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. And in the ancient Near East, a victor of a war would enslave the people from the conquered land. So verse 3 says, One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Remember that this girl is a plunder of war. But as a Jew, she understood the severity of Naaman's leprosy. And she graciously points him to the source of healing. And by miracle or by desperation, Naaman was able to receive his slave girl's counsel. And from verses 4 through 7, we see his tribalism come out. The king of Israel is naturally perplexed and distrustful of Naaman. And so when the king reads the letter, Um, The king is thinking, you know, we're living through a time of war. There's constant threats, invasions. So what is Naaman's intention here? Obviously, he doesn't think Naaman has pure intentions. We see that there's this absurd amount of gold and silver and clothing, almost as payment as service rendered. Uh, What could Naaman want? Is he coming to gain intel on the land? Why is my enemy reaching out to me? The king is thinking, surely Naaman is gonna invade our borders again. And so the king tears his clothes and that this is an ancient practice. Tearing your clothes was a symbol of deep grief. It was a symbol of loss. It was a symbol of mourning. It was a sacrificial act. You can imagine just how expensive the king's clothes were. The act was showing that his standing and his status were put to the side because of how important the matter at hand is. It's solidarity. Similar to, uh, think about, Uh, Zelensky and Ukraine. There's a solidarity. It's an outward sign of an inward condition. And this has been the tragic story of humanity um, throughout the centuries, right? Tribalism, distrust, self-interest. The people of Israel were the people of God, so this story was an act of God's grace in the making. This is a story of a new humanity, dividing walls being brought down. Scripture says in verse 8, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent his message to him Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So verse 9 says Naaman went to his house with horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. I love picturing the scene. Right? Naaman is rolling up to Elisha's house with horses and chariots. Um, think about a modern equivalent, rolling up to someone's house with a Lamborghini and a fleet of like, Escalades, a full entourage of guards, people in suits and shades with the crossed arms, stacks of cash in the trunk. Uh, Naaman and his ego is waiting at the door of Elisha's house. And he's expecting someone to roll out the red carpet for him, right? The admiration, and the respect uh, of the prophet Elisha coming out of his house to greet him in his splendor and the drama and the theatrics of healing him. But verse 10 says, Elisha sends a messenger out to him with this message. So instead of something impressive that would honor someone of the stature of Naaman, uh, Elisha sends out a servant It's like that scene in a movie where there's this ornate glowing door and that door opens and, and it's like this majestic light is coming out of that door and the camera pans down and there's this humble servant. And the scripture says, the messenger says, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call out in the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. The servant says some bizarre instructions and says, hey, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. For the Israelites, the Jordan River represented liberation. uh, Following the Red Sea, the Israelites had to cross the Jordan to enter into the promised land to enter into their freedom and to enter into their new home. And verse 12 says, Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Pharpar better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? And so Naaman turned and went away in a rage. So we have to zoom out a bit to try to empathize with Naaman. Naaman's come a long way in his journey. First, Naaman has the severe condition of leprosy. And the first step is often the most difficult, admitting that you have a problem, admitting you have a need. Many people don't even get to that first step. So secondly, with humility, he has to humble himself and heed the counsel of his maidservant, someone on the lowest rung of the socioeconomic ladder. So first, admitting his need, then counsel of his maidservant, and then third, swallowing his pride, he has to reach out to the king of Israel, his enemy, someone who has a good reason to hate this guy, right? Fourth, he takes a chunk out of his bank account, right? Uh, he, close to a 1,000 pounds of gold and silver and fine clothes. Sorry, there's a mosquito in the camera. On top of all of this, He had to make this tangibly long journey, 500 kilometers. There's no air conditioning in this time. And he had to come to the prophet, and he's told by a prophet who won't even come out of his house to greet him to wash in the Jordan when he has perfectly good rivers at home to wash in. How would you feel if you were Naaman? You've taken all of these steps to be healed and now you're you're told by a messenger to wash in a river that you think is dirtier than your rivers, right? Naaman hears this, and the scripture says he turns away in a rage. When you're working towards healing, there have likely been moments like this in your life, right? You you start to encounter barriers, or resistance, or obstacles, and rage. Um, you. T- Imagine you've taken steps to acknowledge your problem. You've sought friends or you've sought pastoral counsel or you've sought your community. In some cases, you've paid hefty sums uh, for hourly sessions with a psychotherapist. And you start to hear what you don't want to hear. Or counsel that you feel that you know better than. Right? There's resistance for healing, even in Naaman. And this is personal for me as I was meeting weekly with my therapist in the first few months uh, in the early stages of our sessions. And we'd walk through infant uh, childhood years. And following some time, my therapist, she began to notice some of my emotions and patterns and tendencies. And in a really gracious way, she outlined some emotions that I appeared to be suppressing. And she kind of cultivated a pathway of moving forward, working through all of them. And Shelly, my wife could tell you that I walked downstairs after one particular session, emotionally exhausted, and I said, I'm not sure I'm gonna continue with this therapist. I have an excellent therapist, I'm so thankful for her. But in that moment, I didn't like everything that she was identifying in me. And I didn't like confronting some of those themes. I didn't like sitting with a younger Josh, little Josh. The process made me angry and it made me unwilling to proceed a certain way. I wanted to start the whole process over with someone else at the time. It was a simple path forward, but I was refusing to get there. There was resistance in me, in my body, in my soul. During Lent, I often talk about the theme of wilderness. the Israelites had escaped from slavery, and this by all means is a collective healing journey for them. And then they start to face resistance, they start to face the wilderness, they start to face the hunger. And then what do they want to do? They want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to slavery. They face opposition and they want to return to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we had enough to eat. Uh, They yearn to go back to Egypt because healing and wholeness and liberation didn't come as easy as they expected. And so Naaman turns away from that process. Watch for this in your own journey. How many times does this happen? We're all suffering from some form of leprosy in that sense that we are all longing for healing. We're seeking the path of healing. And sometimes the recommendation given to us by God himself from scripture Uh, counsel from small groups from deeply loved friends Um, sometimes the counsel received we don't like it we say no and verse 13 says his officers tried to reason with him and said sir if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult wouldn't you have done it so you should certainly obey him when he said, simply go and wash and be cured and notice the voice of grace and reason is now from Naaman's other servant it appears that everyone that's offering anything of value in the story has no stature. Right? And now, verse fourteen, Naaman goes down to the Jordan River. He dips himself seven times as the man of God and instructed to him him. So listen to what happens. His skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Naaman follows the instructions from God, and he's healed. Healing involves a yielding to the process. He had to listen to the other. He had to listen to his maidservant. He had to write to the other, the king. He had to travel. He had to obey the steps in the process. He had to push through uh, the barriers and the obstacles. It involved many voices. His maid, his officer, the prophet. And sometimes I think of the amount of wisdom that's around me in my own life. And people are always giving me wise and godly counsel. And it's like a -a whack-a-mole game, right? You grab a hammer and someone says something wise and you slam them and then you slam another one down. You're just hitting them. It's like you have octopus arms. You're just hitting everything backwards and forwards. Um, It involves a humility. There's this yielding. There's this laying down of your own way It involves trusting. It involves your work in the process. Naaman needed to yield and obey. In general, there's no real secret to physical health. There's no magic bullet, right? There's no secret to emotional health or spiritual health. There are time-tested, peer-reviewed practices out there. But it's about engaging that process, yielding to those processes. Verse 15, Naaman and his entire party went back like uh, Naaman returns to find the man of God, they stood before him and Naaman said, "Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. so please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, "As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts." And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. So before we move to the final verses, uh, we want us to zoom out a little bit to see the big picture so this is also a story of God's grace Naaman is a Syrian commander but he's also, which is an enemy of the Jews so he's an enemy of the Jews on top of that he's a leper so there's another intersection another level on the margins Naaman is open to this process but his ego is involved just like ours is he gets in the way of his own healing which can often be the case. He thinks he can buy the healing. He brings thousand pounds of silver, gold, and clothes. Isn't that how the world works? We can buy our way to things. That's what Naaman's thinking. Can't I just pay enough money to get rid of this problem? He's insulted when the red carpet isn't rolled out for him. He's insulted at the suggestion of what healing will require because he feels he knows better. Richard Rohr says, quote, Naaman is a complete victim of grace. Grace chooses him. He never really chooses it. He lives inside a world of propriety and predictability, as many of us do. Yet a very humble God works anyway, unquote. And then the final verses, Naaman says, all right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place and I'll take it back home with me. From now on, I'll never again accept burnt offerings or sacrifices from any other god except the Lord. So after Elisha refuses the payment, Naaman says, Allow me to load two of my mules with earth and take it back home with me. Such a bizarre request. But he explains why. From now on, I'm never again going to offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other god except Yahweh. And in the hebrew bible there's this theme of holy ground we see it in exodus joshua deuteronomy israel was yahweh's holy ground as the rest of the hebrew bible and new testament will slowly reveal all nations of the earth are god's holy ground it's all temple and then in verse 19 elisha says go in peace and so Naaman started home again. Naaman is an important man in this country. He's just encountered the God of Israel and he knows he can't stay in Israel. He has to go back home. But he's bringing Israel back home with him. Right? He's coming back made new. He's bringing holy ground back with him. He wants to engage in right praise. Naaman had a change of heart and he declared there's no other God except for Yahweh. So what's the conclusion, right? Naaman is recognizing his area of need, an area that needs healing. It's inviting the Holy Spirit to identify an area of need in your own life, an area that needs healing. Naaman, with humility, receive the guidance of his maidservant, lay down his ego in order to move on with the process. Ask the Spirit where your ego is getting in the way. What are the godly voices in your life, the wise voices leading you to, that you don't want to yield to? Naaman faces resistance, his own resistance to the process, his pride. And then finally, Naaman follows the instruction of God. And then we see what that, that result is. He worships. He says, I have no other God I won't offer any other sacrifices. There's no other God except for Yahweh. And so the conclusion of your journey to healing leads to right worship. It leads to yielding our body as living sacrifice. It's a process of healing we have to go to. And in the gospel, Jesus encounters 10 lepers crying for help. And like Elisha, Jesus outlines the path for their healing. And as they yield to that process, they begin become free from their leprosy. And only one of them goes back in right worship. One of them goes back and thanks Jesus. And it's the Samaritan, another person on the margins. The Samaritan gives thanks. And this outsider doesn't go back to Samaria with two mule loads of soil. Even the distinction between Jews and Samaritans is starting to break down in the New Testament. We see Jesus welcoming everyone. Those deemed unrighteous, uh, the, he was regularly in in homes of people who were believed uh, to be on God's like disfavored list. Right, he shared his table with um, prostitutes and thieves and tax collectors, on, and and he was always accused of hanging out with the wrong people. This is the God that Naaman decides to worship, and his healing led him to worship and bring home God with him. This is the God that the the Samaritan leopard gives thanks to, and this is the God that is with us here now today. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, um, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for the wisdom that this story reveals to us. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to disrupt us in this moment to identify areas that need healing in our life. Spirit, convict us of the ways in which we are resisting that healing and even constructing barriers against it and not heeding the wisdom around us. So Spirit, draw our attention to your word, to your counsel, to the person of Jesus Christ. Um, so that we may obey and find true healing and wholeness that you offer so that we can become whole persons and extend that grace and healing to the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in we're back next week with another great message don't forget to check out our website thegatheringottawa.com and tune in next week to the gathering ottawa's message podcast